Maweni Nonke, good to be here with you guys. Um, Luke told me, he said, like, Don, can you join us on Sunday? We just need like 22 minutes. I was like, I actually have my notes, Luke. I might, um, I'll drive it. <laughs> Let's see what happens. But uh, I, I did preach it on Tuesday, so I got to trim things down a bit. So hopefully you guys get the better version of it all. No one behind there. Um, I might not, you all might not know me. My name's Donovan. My wife Heidi is sitting right over there. We've got two gorgeous little girls in uh, Next Gen Ministries now, Rachel and Rebecca. There's a picture of, that's what we look like nowadays, but this is normal. Uh, us as a family and uh, having a really good time. Uh, just so you all know, feel free to clap. I did my first mountain bike event ever yesterday. Yay! <laughs> 45Ks, it was, um, it was quite a thing. You'd think standing would be sore on the legs, but actually sitting's the real problem. So <laughs> happy to be up here uh, doing this rather than sitting listening. Um, it is so good to be back in our Mark series. I don't know if you've been joining us, but we're making our way verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark, which is, if you're looking for it, the second book in the New Testament over uh, the last year or so. And Andre did such a cool job last week. He worked us through the first 23 verses of chapter 7. I get to do the rest of chapter 7. And um, he, he told us to be aware, be aware of man-made religion. really was a, a brilliant uh, moment. So if you missed it, go check it out. Before I kick into today's message, I want to remind us about something around the book of Mark. I mean, it's been a while since we've camped there. So one of the big thoughts to remember while you're reading the gospel of Mark is that you've got to picture yourself as Mark is writing this letter. He's revealing word by word, uh, sentence by sentence, story by story, who Jesus is. So imagine we're all tightly, in, I read in a history book that people used to gather sitting next to each other in big rooms. It was incredible. Now imagine you're back in those days, but imagine it's pitch black. Can't see the person next to you. Can't see your hand in front of your face. And Mark, as he's writing, as he's telling these stories about Jesus, it's like he's standing next to a light switch, but it's a dimmer switch. And slowly, as he goes on, he's turning up the lights. And things that were hidden about Jesus, things that weren't clear, are slowly becoming clearer, slowly coming into view. And we're starting to get a better sense of, of who this man is and what this man has come to do in the world. It's a good approach to take when, you, when you're looking at the Gospel of Mark and as you're listening to this message. Um, and, and that's what makes this series so life-giving. I mean, that's what makes it so much fun to work through the book of Mark. I mean, whether you're a Christ follower, and most of us here, I'm assuming, are Christ followers, you know, uh, whether you, you know, you're living your one and only life for Jesus, maybe you're not yet a Christ follower. Maybe you're just visiting. Maybe you're checking it out. Uh, maybe you're just coming to see what it looks like to follow Jesus. You know, the truth is for all of us, as the lights go up on who Jesus is, things happen in our life. Things change. And I'm trusting today is no different. God wants us to learn more. He wants us to see more. He wants us to be transformed as we embrace the truth of who Jesus is. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to get cracking. Father God, thank you, uh, as has been prayed, for this opportunity to gather together. God, as we open your word, that you would just turn up the lights in our hearts and our minds as to who Jesus is, about what he's done and what he's doing and what he wants to do in our lives. God, we, we open our hearts and our minds to you. Amen. So Mark chapter 7, I'm going to look at two accounts of healing and I'm going to talk us through it. I'm going to make our way through the stories uh, verse by verse. We're going to focus more time on the first story. And then I'm going to make some commentary as we work through those stories. And then I'm going to wrap it all up uh, with three applications for our lives today. 
But let me start with a big idea. The big idea for today is this. Jesus responds to faith. Jesus responds to faith, and he cares more than we can imagine. James, he's going to come up. He's going to read uh, the text for us. You can follow on the screen. Go for it, buddy. Am I allowed to uh, take my mask off too? Um, Good morning, everyone. Let's read Mark 7 together from verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia, and she begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter, and she went home and found her child lying on a bed, and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephaphtha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more people kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, buddy, and may God bless it to us. So remember the big idea for the message. It's that Jesus responds to faith. You can see how Jesus is responding to faith and that he cares more than we can imagine. I'll come back to that in just a little while with the applications. But let's make our way through these uh, verses uh, as we go. So firstly, verse 24, he left that place, went to the vicinity of Tyre, entered a house, and didn't want anyone to know about it. So you've got Jesus traveling to Tyre. Tyre is a very interesting place. It's generally been very antagonistic towards Israel, so a little bit of an unusual place. It's a Gentile region. In other words, it's, it's not Jewish. I've heard it said that it's a little bit like the Vegas of the ancient world. You know, what happens in Tyre stays in Tyre. It's known for its extreme paganism. But here's Jesus looking for some downtime. He's been healing people. He's been combating religious opposition. He's been dealing with dull disciples, and he just wants to chill. You know, Mark doesn't tell us a lot of details. Is he resting or is he preparing for what's to come? We don't know, but we know uh, he just wants some time out. But as you discover in the book of Mark, Jesus is often the worst kept secret and his quiet is short-lived. Verse 25, in fact, as soon as you heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syria and Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now, this is a very unexpected interruption, not only because Jesus is actually looking for some downtime and he's, he's trying to chill, but, but mostly it's unexpected because of what he tells us about this woman. She's a Greek woman from a notoriously pagan re- region whose daughter is possessed by an evil spirit. I mean, if ever, you know, according to Jewish first century customs, if ever there was someone who had the worst possible CV, 
to ask Jesus for anything, it was this woman. I mean, there was nothing counting in her favor. Not her gender, not her moral standing, not her religion, not her race, nothing. The only thing she had to the cover letter of her CV was her desperate need as a mother and and this kernel of faith that Jesus could do something for them. So she earnestly begs him for help. She smashes through all of these barriers, all of these boundaries, these customs. I mean, any parent can identify this. I mean, the lengths that you're going to go to for your little girl. Okay, verse 27. Jesus responds, First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take this children's bread and toss it to their dogs. I mean, Jesus brushes her off. And he does it seemingly very cruelly calling her a dog. So, I mean, what is happening here? Is Jesus really being that harsh? Is he really insulting her that badly? Now, remember, we're spanning centuries here, so it might not be quite as bad as what we would think now. So here's three reasons why I don't think Jesus is just you know, insulting her in an horrendous way. I think what's happening in this one sentence is that Jesus is entering into a parable. So now remember, parables are when you hear a story or you tell a story to expound or to highlight a truth that isn't obviously plain to us. So he enters into this one-sentence parable. And then also the word he uses for dog, it's the diminutive sense of the word. It's, in other words, he's calling her more like a puppy. You know, not one of those street scavenger dogs that are a danger to all of us. And, and he's talking about this little puppy in the context of a household. So although it's not like... Uh, totally normal to have pets in the first century. It's, it's not unusual. So you've got this picture of like a household puppy. But then he also says like, it, you're like a puppy that is under care. It's like you're going to get food. We're going to feed you, but just not yet. So what's actually happening here is Jesus is brushing off and saying, sorry, not right now. It's like Friday afternoon, you phone the call center. It's one minute past five. You get that message. Your, Paul, your call is so important to us. Thank you so much for getting hold of us. If you don't mind waiting, Saturday and Sunday, you can find us again on Monday morning, and we'll be able to help you. I mean, that's what's happening here. That's what Jesus is telling her, not now. But here's the amazing thing. She's not put off at all. Verse 28, yes, Lord, she replies, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home, found a child lying in the bed, and the demon is gone. I mean, this is a truly remarkable story for a lot of reasons. I mean, you've got this Gentile. You've got this woman. You know, she's got, she knows and understands the social constructs and paradigms that kind of put her in a certain box that make her unlikely to receive help. She understands that Jesus came first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. And that's why Jesus was saying, I'll help you, but not now, later. I mean, she even seems to accept Jesus calling her a dog or a puppy. I mean, she understands what's going on, yet she just doesn't back down. She pushes through. She says to Jesus, just give me a foretaste of what you say is already coming. She says it doesn't have to be, you know, first them, then us. She says we can all benefit right now from what you're wanting to do. I mean, it's incredible. This is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that you hear Jesus telling a parable and in real time someone understands the parable and actually replies appropriately to the parable with great faith. Now, if you've been tracking the story of Mark, you get the irony. I mean, Jesus has been missed. He's been opposed by his own religious leaders. He's been doubted by his family, followed by crowds for all the wrong reasons. His disciples only partially understand him. And here's this complete outsider who completely gets him and in a moment responds appropriately. And Jesus loves it. 
I mean, he just loves her response of faith. And he, he meets her need in response to her faith. It's incredible. What an unlikely hero. Okay, let's move on to the second story. It's shorter but no less impactful. He left Tyre and he goes down to Sidon through the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis, the ten cities. People bring him a man who's deaf and, and mostly mute. So Jesus is traveling, but you know, he's actually been here before. This is the home of the demoniac man who was, um, who was released of the demons called Legion, a legion of demons. I mean, I don't know if you remember the story. And after that man was delivered, you know, he went around telling everyone about Jesus and what he has done. So as he goes into this region, he's known. Like people are getting excited. They think the fireworks are going to happen. He's here. And then like the first story, you get friends that bring someone to Jesus in need. So, and then it goes on, 33, he took him aside, away from the crowd. Jesus put his finger into the man's ears. He spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephata, which means be open. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosed and he began to speak plainly. An incredible and powerful healing. I think you'll agree. And also, let's be honest, unusual. Very unusual. I don't know that you're going to learn this methodology or this approach at any healing conference you go to. I've never heard it uh, taught anywhere. I mean, fingers in ears, spit, touching tongues, not COVID compliant in the least. But Jesus speaks and this incredible miracle happens. Verse 36, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. I mean, sometimes you're overwhelmed. Sometimes you're amazed, overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I mean, wow. So this is actually a common scene in Mark. You've got Jesus you know, telling people not to tell anyone about what's been going on. Because remember what Mark's trying to do here. He, he's slowly uh, turning up the lights on who Jesus is. He's slowly turning up the lights on what Jesus has actually come to do in the world. And Jesus isn't ready to build a large following just yet. He doesn't want his miracles, his healings, and signs, his signs and wonders to be the main reason people follow him. Jesus' focus is on the cross. He wants to build a following around his work on the cross. You see, miracles, signs and wonders, they give us a foretaste of the body and the life that awaits us. They, they're kind of first fruits of this coming age when God will make all things new. He's not just the miracle worker, Jesus. He's, a God, he's God and he's Savior. So people looking on, they're amazed. And despite the command of Jesus not to tell anyone, they go around and they spread the news. Okay, so that's the text we're looking at today. Uh, what are we to make of these accounts? Remember, our big idea is, is Jesus responds to faith and he cares more than we can imagine. What could God be saying to us? What could God be saying to us Cape Tonians, uh, Christ followers living in South Africa in 2020? The first one is this. Jesus loves. He loves and he responds to faith. So many layers to the tr th this truth. I mean, I've just picked out a few, but there's so much more. You can read this in your own time this week as you spend time with God and just meditate on it. But firstly, maybe you're not yet a Christ follower. Maybe you're here, maybe you've been invited by a friend. Well, I think this morning Jesus is inviting you to place your faith in him. 
And as you do that, God will meet you in powerful ways as he met with this mother and daughter. Regardless of your gender, your nationality, your morality, your social standing, your life choices, it doesn't matter. Jesus is inviting you to place your faith in him and he will respond with arms open wide. Romans 10 Verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, faith is believing in your heart that on the cross, Jesus died for your sins. You see, we're, we're all born, every one of us, into a state of rebellion against God's design and God's intention for our lives, for the world. And we, we're forging our own lives. We're kind of ignoring or disregarding uh, our creating Father who gave us the breath of life. And this, this way of living, it's called sin when we ignore and rebel against our Creator. And the problem is our sin separates us from God. It puts us at odds with Him in in devastating ways. But the story doesn't end there. I mean, in great love, we know God moved towards humanity. He moved towards me. He's moved towards all of us. Maybe today He's moving towards you. See, the the penalty for this sin, the, the penalty for this rebellion against God, it's death. And on the cross, Jesus died a death we should have died. That was ours to experience so that we could be restored, reunited in this wonderful relationship with our Creator, our Father in heaven. Then it it goes on to say, it's with confessing with your mouth that you receive this gracious gift personally, that you take in this and express faith in God. I mean, the truth is, Jesus didn't just die for the sins of the world, He died for you. He doesn't just love the world, He loves you. He doesn't just want to restore the world. He wants to restore you. Maybe this morning, God will meet you. God will respond to your faith in life-changing and incredible ways. Just as Jesus restored this woman's daughter, so he will restore you. Most of us, we know, are already Christ followers. So what's the impact here for Christ followers? Well, You know, as a Christ follower, I'm someone who wants to imitate the life of Jesus. I want to kind of follow in his footsteps. I want to live a life that reflects something of his life. One of the big things you see in this story is that Jesus, uh, that our faith in Jesus is really important to, to Jesus. He values faith. He responds to faith. What is far less important to Jesus is this are the social constructs, the norms, the paradigms of our day that we construct around ourselves as a society. I mean, remember how Jesus responds to this woman. He doesn't respond to her ethnicity. He doesn't respond to her race, her nationality, geography, gender, morality, religion, good standing. In fact, he crosses all of these boundaries. He bulldozes through all of these um, constructs to respond to faith and respond to need. I think sometimes as Christ followers, we can allow social constructs of our day to stop us Loving and meeting the needs of others. Even Christ followers, especially other Christ followers. I think something I'm taking out of this text is is that it's our faith in Christ 
that gives us more in common with people than any external marker that could ever separate us. You know, when, we, when, we're, wanna, when we're imitating Jesus, when we're following in his footsteps, we don't allow the, cons- the social constructs of our day, the paradigms to impede us meeting the needs of the people in this world, especially other Christ followers, those who share our faith. You know, the truth is when you, you, know, when, when you receive the love of God, when you enter uh, into this life of faith, it, it enables, but, but more than enables, it, it charges us to move beyond, to break through barriers, to break through boundaries, and to share the love of God with others, meeting their needs. Let me stop here for a second. Let me ask the question, how are you doing? How are you doing? Think about your life for a moment. Christ follower, Cape Town, South Africa, it's 2020. Let me ask you, are you placing too much value on, on external markers, on, on social constructs as you live your life and as you follow in the footsteps of Jesus? And honestly, I've, I've been praying for myself. I've been praying that God would heal my heart, that God would heal my eyes, that he will enable me to see things freshly. I mean, if I'm honest, there's, you know, amongst other things, you know, socioeconomic differences, the differences between, uh, that can separate us from people. The truth is, I've been dramatically impacted by apartheid. Even all of these years after apartheid ended politically, and I find myself asking God to heal me. Asking God to give me a new heart. Asking God to give me a new way of living. That is totally foreign to the life that I was brought up to in this country. Okay, second big takeaway for us is this. Persist in prayer on behalf of others. Honestly, this was the biggest takeaway for me. This is the one that I, that I felt like God was just speaking to me about. I mean, they were all powerful, but, but I felt like God was saying, Don, you need, to, you need to respond to this. You need to ramp it up. I think it, it, this passage is encouraging us to pray for others, to bring other people's needs before Jesus. Truth be told, I don't think I've been as fervent or as faithful in my prayers for my friends, for my family, especially for my kids, as I think God would want me to be. And, and he's put his finger on that. I think it's difficult for us to pray, you know, faithfully and fervently, probably because we're still that instant generation. You know, we still want things to happen like sooner rather than later. And if it takes a little bit of time, you know, we get distracted, other stuff comes up and we kind of move on. You know, we grow weary when it takes too long. We lose, you know, sometimes there's setbacks. So you look at circumstances and you think, you know, that person doesn't look like there's any change. Maybe they're a lost cause and we kind of just drift off. We don't see the change that we want, and it's just discouraging, and it can cause us to stop being faithful and fervent. Fervent. Think about this woman. I mean, she got brushed off by Jesus. I mean, this is about as discouraged as you're ever going to get. But she persists, and she pushes through, and she, she argues with God in, in relation to his nature, and, and God meets her need. And God gives her, Jesus gives her something that couldn't be obtained Through any other human means, he sets her free. Through the prayers of a mother, a daughter is healed. What about the prayers of brothers, sisters, moms, dads, colleagues, fellow citizens? I mean, God can do transformational work in this world that cannot be obtained through any human means if we remain fervent and faithful 
in our prayers. Don't forget James 5.16. The prayers of a, of, a, of a righteous man or woman are powerful and effective. You know, Michael Eaton, he's got a quote. It says, faith argued with God on the basis of his character. We persist in faith. We, we, stay, we persist in prayer. We stay faithful in prayer. We argue with God on the basis of his character to do what it is that he really does want to do. And we keep on praying. We keep on asking. Here's a cool encouragement. Michael Eaton, he comment, commenting on this, he says, uh, you know, if someone comes for healing, who needs to have faith? for that person to be healed. And his answer is, anyone. Anyone can have faith. I mean, in this story, Jesus moves, because of the faith of a mother, he moves towards healing a daughter. God can respond to the faith of friends, family members, fellow citizens, to intervene and to do remarkable things in the life of other people. I was thinking about this verse. It was so fresh in my mind. On Tuesday morning, we had our corporate prayer time. And I was just thinking, what a privilege to pray on behalf of a church. I mean, Jesus can respond to the, to the faith of, of those who are praying in the, into the life of a church for, for maybe those who, who aren't at the same place or who are going through struggles or difficulties or different levels of faith. That actually as we intervene, as we persist, as we continue to contend with God on the basis of his character, and crazy things can happen. Maybe an encouragement for you is to find out when your corporate prayer gatherings are happening. I think Luke might mention something. But what a privilege to, to, to just take hold of that and realize that those prayers can have a huge impact, not only on the church, but on everyone that's connected with anyone that's part of the church, because that's how God works. Our prayers matter. I was particularly burdened for some people as I prepared this. So call this a prophetic encouragement. Call this a prophetic sense from God. But, but if, you've, if you're a parent and you've got sons or daughters who really just don't want you to speak to them about God, there's nothing that stops you talking to God about them. And I want to say to you, persist. Don't give up. Don't give up hope for your friends, for your kids. Be faithful persist. And let's trust God together that every single one of them come to know him. And that's my hope for our kids. Okay, finally, Jesus cares more than you can imagine. Think about this guy. He's deaf. He's mostly mute. If ever there was someone who could be bitter, ever there was someone who could be shaking an angry fist at God and saying, God, how could you let this happen to me? How could this be? But, but you don't get that picture here. You get the picture of, of a bunch of friends that are bringing a guy to Jesus, and, and he kind of opens his life up to Jesus. He presses into, into Jesus, and, and, and God moves towards him in the midst of his pain. And, and what he discovers as he moves towards Jesus is that Jesus actually cares more than he could have imagined. I mean, think about this for a moment. Let's make our way through the story. His friends bring this guy to Jesus. There's a huge crowd gathering. Remember, everyone knows who Jesus is. They know what he can do. They want to see fireworks. I mean, it's like a show that's happening. But Jesus takes the man away from the crowd. You get the sense that Jesus is dealing with someone, that he's dealing with an individual. He's not here to impress crowds. He's here to meet needs, to respond to need. And then usually Jesus would just speak and someone would be healed. But, but you don't get that here. Remember, this guy's deaf. This guy couldn't hear if Jesus just spoke. So Jesus touches him. 
you get a glimpse of Jesus' attention to what's happening here. You get empathy. There's like an intimacy when, when Jesus touches him. A lot of intimacy as, as he really touches him in the ears and the tongue and the spit. And then you get Jesus looking up to heaven. I mean, it's in a bit of an unusual description. And, and you hear the sigh. Jesus sighs toward heaven. And, and you, get this, you get a sense of a longing. You get a sense of Jesus entering into someone's pain. You get a sense of Jesus lamenting the brokenness of a world, like a longing to see things and people made new, a longing for salvation. And we also get reminded that as he looks up to heaven that, that our true hope comes from above. Our true hope is from a father that loves us. He's going completely off scripture, Jesus. He's being moved by compassion. He's being moved by the love he has for individuals. The truth is Jesus cares more than you can imagine. Maybe you're in pain. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe life's hectic. Maybe you've got some struggles. Maybe things just aren't working out for you. The devil wants you to believe that God simply doesn't care about your life. But it's just not true. Jesus cares. He knows you. And he cares deeply about you. And he wants to meet your needs. He wants to respond to your faith. He sighs deeply with you. Sometimes you can't hear that sigh for yourself like the deaf man couldn't because the, the weights and the, and the difficulty weighs on you so much. But he sighs nonetheless. And you can know he sighs for you because on the cross he sighed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's proved his love for us on the cross. He gives everything so we can know he cares. You know, Charles Spurgeon, he says this, when you cannot trace his hand, trust his heart. Sometimes things don't make sense. Sometimes in the midst of struggle and difficulty, we can't see what God's doing. We can't imagine how God's at work in all this. But I want to say, trust his heart. He's proven his heart for us. God cares more than you can imagine. Okay, let me bring it all together. Jesus responds to faith. He, he cares more than we can imagine. He loves and responds to faith. Maybe today you're hearing God calling you for the very first time to extend faith to him. Forgiveness of sins, restoration to your creator. Maybe if you're a Christ follower, just to freshly examine how you relate to others, on what basis you meet the needs of others, especially those who share our faith. Encouragement to persist on behalf of others and to know that Jesus cares more than you can imagine. Can I pray for us? Let's pray together. moments just want to open our, our hearts and minds to you freshly God we your scriptures tell us not to be hearers only of the word but doers also maybe you're sitting here and you're not yet a Christ follower maybe today you've you've heard the voice of God saying I want to restore you I want to know you I want to meet you. I want to meet your needs. I want to forgive you of your sins. 
I want to restore you. I want to give you life and life to the full, which cannot be found in any human means. It's met by God as we respond by faith. I want to lead you in a prayer of faith. If, if that's you, you can pray right where you are. You pray, pray it with me as I pray. It's a, it's a prayer that acknowledges God. You could pray, Father, this morning, I recognize that you're real. You can pray this where you are. I recognize that you're inviting me to place faith and trust in you. You can pray, God, I acknowledge that, that on the cross, Jesus paid for my sins. I receive that payment. I receive your forgiveness. You can pray, God, I invite you into my heart, into my life, into all of me. You can pray, God, I pray that in the coming days and weeks and months that you would continue to reveal yourself to me, that you would lead me into life and life to the full. And I receive your gift of Jesus through faith. I open my life to you. And those of us that are Christ followers, God, that you would cause us to be transformed and changed. Amen. Let me just say this before Luke comes up. Maybe you've placed your faith in Jesus for the first time. A couple of cool things to consider doing is one, tell someone about it. I mean, maybe you've got a Christian friend, a Christian family member. Maybe someone invited you to come along. I mean, just share the news with someone. People will be stoked to hear about it. It's just such a good way of, of allowing other people to enter into our lives. And then I want to say to you, you can start reading your, the Bible. I think Luke might tell us a little bit about the Ignite booklets. Um, how cool would it be for you to start reading the Bible? That, that'll really help you and, and get into that. Start talking to God. I mean, that's prayer. It's just talking to God, opening up your life to Him. And then find a church. You know, maybe it's this one. Maybe it's another church around where you live. But find a local church. Start going and start seeing what God's going to do in your life.